out there, this is Daryl. Today is the culmination of this first season and of the overview of our model of constitutional democracy. I want to thank you for listening and thank those who have reviewed this podcast. The coming season will likely have a new format, so stay tuned. We will discuss the seventh pillar called prosperity and competence. Prosperity is about economic systems and financial management. Competence is about overall good governance and managing or avoiding crises. These topics are perhaps overlooked in typical civics education, perhaps because citizens don't have a direct role in these matters, but they are crucial and we need to be educated to understand and have a voice. One of the selling points for democracy is how it has often gone together with greater wealth for its citizens, as well as their happiness, the two being somewhat connected. One connection is liberty, and for that reason, some version of a capitalist economy is usually the engine for democratic economies because it promotes economic freedom for owners, investors, consumers, and often for workers. Also, Free trade is part of this. In contrast, command economies like communism and, to a lesser extent, socialism are controlled more by government than by individuals and free markets. There is more protectionism. If you are hearing this and cringing, let me clarify. Capitalism generates more wealth, but it concentrates the wealth in a smaller number of hands. Thus, it increases wealth inequality, market instability, and monopolies if left alone without considerable redistribution of the wealth and some regulation of the market. Think of it like driving a fast car. It's great to have a strong engine, but you still need a steering wheel and brakes and rules of the road. The neoliberal model that the U.S. popularized um, only focuses on the speed, that is, overall wealth. Uh, So these problems, on top of others like the overlay of discriminatory practices, has given capitalism a bad name. Quote, we have to save capitalism from the capitalists, end quote, said Thomas Piketty. That's why Canada and most democracies have mixed economies that balance a market economy with some socialist principles. We have similar problems as in the U.S., but to a lesser degree. We have more progressive taxes to redistribute wealth and fund social programs. To balance the power of corporate bosses, we give workers more rights to bargain collectively. But when the biggest economy, the U.S., practices an extreme form of capitalism, and when capitalism becomes global without global institutions to govern it, We get many of the problems in the world today, growing wealth disparity, um, weak rights for workers, environmental destruction, and so on. And the main alternative is China's model of state capitalism, which is not a great option either. Um, But there's some progress and some hope. Uh, And maybe COVID will be, you know, or is helping to an extent as the idea of government redistribution and management is back in vogue. Now, when it comes to fiscal policy and government budgets, the right and the left debate the best approach. The political right wants less spending and taxes, 
believing government should not meddle. The left wants more in a belief that government has a positive role. For a time, there was a debate between the Keynesians, who wanted government to play an active role in the economy by saving tax revenue in good times and spending it in hard times, versus the neoliberals and neoconservatives that, that who wanted little government role and balanced budgets. Today, the Keynesians have changed into debt-to-GDP liberals or even modern monetary theory progressives who see spending as an investment and seeming to be winning the day. Uh, the right was worried about deficit and debt with a recession looming, and the left was pushing to tax the super-rich. And then COVID-19 uh, came, and the whole game changed globally. What does good financial management mean now? I recently heard it said, quote, we're all Keynesians in the pandemic, end quote. So austerity may await us, but somewhere off in the future. Uh, do not mistake me for an expert on any of this. That is why, you know, speaking of competence, the best practice calls for very competent civil servants working for reasonably competent political masters. The masters should respect the advice of the experts and consider science and adopt evidence-based policies and avoid political games, especially with matters like public health. Populist distrust of experts is worrisome, such as with you know, the climate issue or pandemic science. However, it is, it is a balancing act because without guidance from the public will, the civil service becomes a technocracy serving its own interests. Thus, we have enshrined community consultation into the political process. But critics say that the consultation is often just pro forma or that we ought to go further. Um, you know, let's remember that our democracy is representative de democracy based on the idea that we need full-time talented politicians to make decisions on our behalf. But some people think that we are at or near the point where we, the people, can and should exercise direct democracy on a more frequent basis. Uh, and much of this relates to the issue of trust. Do our politicians earn our trust? Um, now, competence means staying out of crisis. While a crisis can bring people together, uh, as it in some ways has recently, it can also disrupt, um, oh, well, and it can disrupt a corrupt system, which is positive, but it can also be exploited to suspend democratic practices and dismantle core institutions. In the U.S., both Republican and Democratic administrations after Reagan allowed the financial markets to get out of control, leading to the Great Recession. Those effects then spread to Europe and elsewhere, causing economic catastrophes and played a big part in bringing nativist populists to power, uh, including Trump. You know, Canada escaped much of that, although Rob Ford's mayoralty uh, came out of that as well. As the climate crisis grows, we see how divisions between the oil industries and regions um, and the rest of uh, the country also grows. Uh, 
and and then on top of these sort of situations that are building towards a crisis, we have corruption scandals uh, that you know happen you know on a fairly regular basis. Even though Canada scores well on measures like the Transparency Index, um, according to Transparency International, uh, which says that our perception of corruption places us ninth in the world, you know, which is good, but we keep having scandals even as we still put steps in place to catch it. And perhaps it's true, as I, I think the philosopher Edward. Uh, Luce says that democracies have needed crises to learn and to course correct. Uh, you know, it, but I think it would be nice if we could learn to drive without needing collisions to improve our driving. As usual, Canada is not perfect, but better than most incompetent management for a prosperous populace. Our social safety net has held up by and large though it has holes, especially, you know, for elder care, as we've seen recently. But we appreciate more in these times that our collective effort and compassion for our vulnerable citizens uh, is essential to a healthy democracy. Thank you all for listening to this episode and to this podcast, which is focused on matters local to Ontario and yet also global um, as we as we see the uh, these issues connect and the same is true of my organization conserve democracy uh, which is, produces this podcast I want to thank volunteers of that organization who have helped put this podcast together Jaden Daniels Zara Faruqi, Karina Vandenhoven, and Jessica Yang. We at Conserve Democracy have plans for a series that will further the goal of civics education, but with a different multi-person format. So keep subscribing and follow us on social media at Serve Democracy. Uh, contribute to our costs and cause if you can. Uh, and otherwise, so long for now. <laughs>